I always enjoy these Christmas Eve sort of sermons or these candlelight worship sermons. Uh, It allows me to ponder uh, many of the things that we love to cherish this time of year, the story of how Jesus came into this world, the the nativity of Christ the Lord. Uh, Those familiar passages that we often go to this time of year can never really run themselves dry. Perhaps you remember, or perhaps you're even getting ready to read through what I just read through this evening. I remember growing up, one of the traditions uh, that I had as a, as, a, as a young boy was always being read the Christmas story every Christmas morning. Reading about Mary and Joseph and going to Bethlehem and no room in the inn and all those sorts of things. And I'm sure that this season of Christmas has its own set of traditions that you are looking forward to. Perhaps you have your own set of things that you always have to do this time of year, Uh, whatever those might be. Maybe you have a a series of things that you have to make sure to accomplish or see or do as a family that help to make the season bright, if you will. Maybe that involves turkey and mistletoe, as the song says. (laughs) Or maybe it's going caroling, or maybe it's baking cookies, or maybe it's going out on Christmas Eve and shopping with all of the crowds. I don't know, my dad used to do that sometimes. I think he liked it for some reason, I don't know. Maybe it's looking at Christmas lights, or decking out your house with all of the, or as many Christmas decorations as you can possibly get your hands on. Whatever it might be, whatever it is, there's... Probably something, or maybe there's a series of somethings that you have to do. Another one of my favorite traditions growing up as, as a boy in my mom and dad's home with my sister and brother, it happened every Christmas Eve on a night much like tonight, when my family and I would all sit around and we would watch two Christmas movies, one right after the other, the same ones every single year. And they never got old, I could still watch them now and very much enjoy them and relish in them. The first one, of course, was always the 1946 classic, It's a Wonderful Life, starring Jimmy Stewart, a movie that I swear by, I would say, and and indeed, I could probably recite the whole thing to you, but don't hold me to that, I don't want to test my memory, Um, but (laughs) I'm very much fond of It's a Wonderful Life and the incredible meaning that that story has. Then, of course, we had followed it up by the 1984 version of A Christmas Carol, starring George C. Scott. We'd watch these two movies back to back in perhaps our newly minted Christmas PJs or whatever. But we'd watch these two movies as a family. And these stories that they would portray are, they hold very precious memories for me. Not just because of the stories in the movies, but also for what the movies represent. Essentially because they are more like heirlooms than actual movies now. They are staples of my mom and dad's home. However, there's another tradition Uh, That my siblings and I would have almost every Christmas whenever we would go over to um, my nana and my poppy's house, my my dad's mom and dad. We would watch the 1966 TV special, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. And then perhaps you're familiar with this little cartoon. It's less than 30 minutes. But to be sure, every time we went over to to our grandparents' house, we would be sure to watch How the Grinch... Stole Christmas, and in fact, uh, my my nana and my poppy they even had it on an eight track. If you know what that is, if you don't know what that is, find someone who has slightly less hair than you, or slightly more white hair than you, and they'll tell you what an eight track is. Um, but we had it on an eight track. We would always watch it every Christmas, sometime during the holidays. And perhaps you're film you're familiar with 
the story of Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas. With the mean old Grinch with garlic in his soul, and he comes up with a plan to steal Christmas from all the Who's living down in Whoville. And of course, this story is beloved by many. In fact, uh, Bailey, my littlest one, she's just turned two, and she has just discovered the Grinch, and I think we watch it quite a lot. She loves the Grinch. And this story is, is very, one that's very familiar to us, very profound, perhaps very one that we love to watch. It's, it's, full, it's a story that's full of whimsy, it's full of charm, and all of the rhymes and all of the made-up words that Dr. Seuss comes up with. And in fact, in many ways, the Grinch has become almost as commonplace to Christmas as Ebenezer Scrooge or Eggnog. And I think the reason for that is not just because of the absurd rhyming or the funny imagery. I think it's also because, just like Charles Dickens's A Christmas Carol, the Grinch tells us a story of redemption. If you recall, the Grinch has finish his night of stealing and pilfering all of the Who's tinsel and toys, and he escapes to his mountain, where, as the story goes, he gleefully waits to hear all of the sound of the boo-hoos of all the Who's, who were supposed to wake up and find that their Christmas had been stolen. But then, when Whoville wakes up, instead of hearing the sound of crying because Christmas had been taken away, All the Who's wake up and the Grinch hears the sound of singing. Christmas Day, they sing, is in our grasp so long as we have hands to clasp. And this leaves the Grinch utterly confused. As the story goes, every Who down in Whoville, the tall and the small, was singing without any presence at all. He hadn't stopped Christmas from coming. It came somehow or other. It just came all the same. And the Grinch, with his Grinch feet ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling. How could it be so? It came, it came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes, or bags. He puzzled and puzzled till his puzzler was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't thought before. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas perhaps, means a little bit more. I don't know Dr. Seuss's faith, but I can wager to say that perhaps he, was, he didn't even know what he was writing when he wrote those words, Then indeed it does mean a lot more. Because in the story of the Grinch stealing Christmas, come to find out, he hadn't stolen Christmas at all. All he had stolen and taken was just a bunch of stuff, a bunch of trinkets, And as soon as he realizes this, as the story goes, he races down his mountain and he brings everything back. He wants to return all of the items that he stole from the Who's. The one whose heart was, as it says, the song goes, a dead tomato splotched with moldy purple spots had finally learned what Christmas was all about. And I love the ending because now, no longer an outcast from all of the Who's down in Whoville, the Grinch is invited to stay for the Whoville Christmas Day feast. It's a silly Christmas story, to be sure. It's a silly children's story. But I would wager that there's a poignant message in it for us, too. Interestingly enough, the version that my daughter has fallen in love with, the 2018 animated remake of The Grinch, 
I think, captures this redemption arc in the best way possible. And rather than just quote it to you again, actually, I'd like to show you. So, if Micah, can you play the video we have back there? Uh, that's going to get old. <laughs> what was that? Remember me? Yes, yes, I do. I remember you. My name is Cindy Lou. Cindy Lou who? It's nice to meet you, Cindy Lou. Uh, oh, my name is Grinch. And, uh, this is Max. <laughs> Whoa, nice to meet you, Max. <laughs> I just came to invite you to our house for Christmas dinner. What? Me? But I took your gifts. Yeah, I know. And your trees. Yep. I stole your whole Christmas. I know you did. But we're inviting you anyway. But why? Because you've been alone long enough. Dinner's at six. Don't be late. And make sure you bring your sweet doggy too. I love this silly little exchange with Cindy Lou Who and the Grinch. I love what they share, especially as the Grinch realizes what has happened. He confesses to Cindy Lou Who, I stole your whole Christmas. Why would you want to invite me to dinner? And what does she say? I know you did, but we're inviting you anyway. The Grinch did not deserve an invitation to dinner. He had not earned a seat at the table, but yet he was given one anyway by the very ones he had stolen from. And that, I'd say, I think is an excellent picture of what grace looks like. Now, before you hasten to, and, and before you think that I'm just reading way too much into this children's story, and maybe I am, let me show you if you will, the original Grinch story. The original Grinch story that you can actually find in the Bible, in the Gospel of Luke. In fact, did you know that the Bible has its own Mr. Grinch and Ebenezer Scrooge all rolled into one? (laughs) Maybe you're familiar with the, the story of a certain wee little man from Jericho. In Luke chapter 19, we have the story of a man named Zacchaeus. And here's how his story goes. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he, Zacchaeus, hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. 
And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Like Scrooge and maybe even like the Grinch, Zacchaeus' story, especially from the scriptures, is, I would say, one of the most well-known and one of the most well-beloved stories in all of the Bible. It's a mainstay of children's church and Sunday school curriculums and VBS Bible lessons. Not only because of all of the picturesque details and vivid imagery that it includes, but I think also because it tells the story of redemption. The redemption of Zacchaeus, the wee little man, is so clear and so easy to see that we even teach it to our kids. Everyone's able to grasp the lesson. Of grace that's on display when the Son of God, Jesus himself, invites himself over to dine and eat dinner with that repulsive tax collector. Who we would also probably have to imagine had all of the tender sweetness of a seasick crocodile. This is the story of Zacchaeus. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem by this point in Luke's gospel. He's on his way to the cross that looms in the background of all that he is doing and saying and all in all of his interactions. But yet as he passes through Jericho and he's mobbed by a crowd as he was in many of the other cities too with people of all manners of all manner of backgrounds with all manner of diseases and problems and needs they were flocking to Jesus's feet. Likely because they had heard that this one from Nazareth had the ability to heal. Even if they grazed the hem of of his garments, they could be healed from almost anything. But also in the crowd that day was not just those who were sick, not just the poor. But also in the crowd that day was a very particular man, the chief tax collector of Jericho named Zacchaeus. And although he was small in stature, of course we know that he was not short on cash, not by a long shot. That phrase where it says in Luke chapter 19 and verse number 2 that he was rich kind of sells it short. He literally was abundant in wealth. Compared to the rest of the crowd that day, Zacchaeus was very much a fish out of water. He didn't have any obvious physical ailments or chronic conditions that needed fixing, that needed Jesus' healing touch. In fact, he was only in the crowd that day because he was curious to see if the rumors about this supposed man from Nazareth who had miracle ability, if all of those rumors were true. For whatever reason, Zacchaeus had decided to stop swimming in his stacks of money long enough to to see and to try and get a glimpse of who this Jesus was. And no doubt Zacchaeus chalked up all of his decision making that day to nothing but a burning curiosity. He was desirous to see who this Jesus was. And he was so curious, in fact, that when he could not get a glimpse of him through all of the people and shoulders and crowds... (laughs) But he climbs up into a sycamore tree just to catch a glimpse, hopefully, of this Jesus from Nazareth. But what I love is what happens after he's in that tree, hoping to catch a glimpse of this one passing by. Because what happens next assures us that 
all of what is occurring here is not just happenstance. It's not just a result of Zacchaeus' insatiable curiosity. As it says in verse number 5, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. The effect of those words... The place, coupled with the fact that Jesus declares that he must stay at Zacchaeus' home, makes it abundantly clear that this was no accidental encounter. It wasn't by chance that Zacchaeus woke up that, was, that morning was bitten by the curiosity bug. It wasn't by chance that he happened to climb that particular tree on the way out of Jericho and that he just happened to be spotted by Jesus as he was walking along the way and that Jesus just happened to call out to him by name. No, my friends, not by chance at all. This was divine and providential grace. Coloring this entire scene. And as Zacchaeus receives an invitation that he does not deserve, he finally learns. Finally learns the error of his ways, as it says in verse number 7. Or excuse me, verse number 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Even though, like the Grinch, Zacchaeus was a nasty, wasty skunk, who was perhaps hated, And reviled by every single citizen of Jericho and likely beyond. Here Zacchaeus finds himself on the receiving end of an invitation to share a meal with someone who cared very little for reputation or status or social politics. (laughs) Instead, he comes for precisely those. The outcast and the poor and the lost. Zacchaeus, to be sure, was probably... More than a little stunned by this proposal of Jesus, this revered teacher, coming and eating with him. What? Me? You want to eat with me? Are you sure you've thought this through? You, you probably don't want to be seen with me. I'm a taker. I'm a swindler. I'm a cheat. I've stolen and I've defrauded friends and neighbors galore. To which Jesus likely replied, I know, but I'm coming over for dinner anyway. In an act that sends every Pharisee in earshot into a tizzy, Jesus insists that Zacchaeus receive him into his home and they share a meal together. But this scene is not really about what's on the menu. It wasn't about what they were going to eat for dinner. The scene is about revealing the depths of the heart of God. Because that's what's being put on display. Because when Jesus goes to the eat at the house of Jericho's Grinch, we are made to see that this is just who Jesus is. He is the one who comes to seek and to save 
the lost. He's the one, Jesus is, who goes after the vilest of sinners, even those whom everyone else had given up on. And even if that meant he would have to put himself in harm's way in order to rescue them. Jesus was not always one to toe the party line, if you will, to do what was most socially acceptable or to do what everyone expected him to do. Actually, the Gospel of Luke, this is just one example, brings to the forefront more than any of the other Gospels that Jesus was insistent, he was adamant about greeting, and not just greeting, but associating and welcoming those who were considered outcasts and lowlifes and pariahs. You see, in this way, in the story of Zacchaeus, we are made to understand Jesus' embrace of those whom the world shuts out. See, this is who Jesus is. The Savior. Christ, the Lord. The one who is drawn to those whom the world holds at arm's length. Those whom you would least expect to be invited. They're the ones who get the invite to dinner. From shepherds, to tax collectors, to lepers, to the demon-possessed, to sinners. Jesus' focus, his target demographic, if you will, throughout his life and throughout his death and throughout all of his ministry as our substitute is precisely for those who are desperate and destitute and hopeless. The prophecy of Ezekiel says this quite clearly in Ezekiel chapter 34 verse 16 where it says, quote, I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. You see, when Cindy Lou Who extends an invite of grace to the Grinch to share Christmas dinner with them, in a way it's an echo of what the Lord Jesus did for the original Grinch himself. Inviting him over to dinner. Even when he was the one who had stolen everything. When he was the one who was self-conceited and self-interested. Jesus is going after that one. And the point is that this is exactly what God in Christ has done for you. For every single sinner. This is why he has come. Why do we celebrate Christmas? Why do we celebrate the arrival of Jesus, the Son of God, into our world? Well, verse 10 tells us. He came to seek and to save the lost. Or as it says in 1 Timothy 1.15, He came into the world to save sinners. Jesus comes down because Grinches exist. The Son of God descends from his throne in the heavens in order to step foot on this very cruel world. Full of sin and death. Full of vitriol and violence and hatred. And he comes into this world so every sinner and every Grinch and every Scrooge might be rescued and redeemed. Jesus was born into a world full of thieves and liars and adulterers. And he was born for them. As the song says, he was born to die. Yes, for every thief and liar and adulterer and sinner. 
He was born to die for their sins. And that's what he has accomplished by taking on flesh. It was their vicious and vile sins that called him down out of heaven into this place of disease and death. And he took all of that on himself so that he might seek and save the lost and rescue them from their death. And to think that it all begins, this story of how Grinches can receive grace and how Scrooges can be saved. This story begins with a little baby in a manger on a cold night in Bethlehem. In a birth that is unheralded and unannounced except for a few dirty shepherds. Who aren't summoned, summoned to a throne room to see the king who would save them. They're summoned to a lowly little cradle. It bespeaks the fact that all are welcome at the feet of this one who has come to save all. Who has come to seek and to save the lost. Whatever your traditions may include this Christmas. I pray you pause and remember this baby in a manger who dies to secure a seat at the table for the chief of sinners. And that includes Grinches. Merry Christmas. Let us pray.